Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Riverdale Recap Podcast. Today, we will be talking about the 17th episode of Riverdale Season 3, The Raid. I'm Mary Kukowski, and I am joined, as always, by the tremendous Kirsten McInnes. Kirsten, I may have used that one before, but I just realized I didn't write something down, so I still had Marvelous there. I'm sorry. Um... Okay, hi. I'm here. I'm ready to talk about Riverdale. Yeah, this doesn't need to be a bit that we do every week. No, you could just say I'm with Kirsten. Sorry. That's... Well, maybe we'll we'll come back to that at some point. I just and I don't know why because I know you're gonna do it. It throws me off every single time because I'm just like, oh whoa, I'm not used <laughs> to someone being so nice to me. Like, hello. Sorry, but it's how it is. Oh my gosh. <laughs> oh, I know. Look, we are we are trying to get back on our normal update schedule. Things have been so crazy since we've both been sick and then I was away all weekend and oh. and it's just like in 2 weeks I'm going to be away. like we're going to be out of 10 anyways. So it's like I just know we're going to be off track. So we're just Again. easing the audience into a sense of things going downhill. Yeah, like you know what guys, just it's chaos, okay? We're going to try and be consistent as much as possible, but both of us are in flux right now. It's just a little crazy. I only have like nine days left at my current job, and then I go on vacation, and then I start a new job. It's a lot, okay? Yeah. It's a lot. I, I like that. I think uh, I'm going to have my Facebook status say in flux. You know what? You're welcome for giving you a really great Facebook status. Our Facebook status is still a thing. Remember when your Facebook status was actually a thing? Like it actually sat up oh there God. at the top of your Facebook Facebook page. I was looking at my Facebook memories today and there was one from like 11 years ago that was like, can't believe I got invited to a Facebook group for emo and scene kids. And like looking back, I'm like, Kirsten, at what point were you denying that you were an emo or scene kid? Like that's well, who you also, were. At what point did you feel like you needed to post that and tell other people? Well, I was very young. Okay. I was in my early teens. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I've like the Facebook memories are just like a minefield of embarrassing moments that I check every day and then delete the most embarrassing posts. Facebook is the worst. I remember having just like being so against when they switched to the timeline format because they used to have the wall and I just like held on to the last minute when they forced me to switch. It was a really big, a really big time in my life. I, well, I feel like you, you and I are of the right age where we saw Facebook change like seven times yep. over the course of like a couple of years and it was like every single time it changed everyone would be outraged and then in like a few weeks they'd be used to it and then it would change again and they'd be like oh my god how are they doing this and it's like I feel like it's been the same for quite a while and we're due for another big Facebook edit. I just don't think anyone cares anymore is the problem. Well, like, but just imagine what would happen all the middle-aged moms that's the thing. if Facebook edited right now. If they changed Facebook it would confuse too many people. Back when Facebook was all teenagers they were like oh it doesn't matter if they're mad they're just gonna have to get used to it because all all their friends are here and so they're stuck with it. I don't know. Like I, I never remember a change happening on Facebook that I thought, you know what? This is a good idea. No. It was always you tolerated it or got used to it. And then in time, I don't remember how it used to be. So I guess it's fine. You ever go on the Wayback Machine? That's, no. It's like I only internet archive or something. It's really great. It, you can look at old web pages. Anyway, that was the social media segment and now we're yeah. going to <laughs> jump into Facebook the episode. Corner. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it's not as good as Sprouse Corner, but that's okay. That's what happens. Speaking of Sprouse Corner, <laughs> there's like, there's not even a Jughead voiceover exactly, but I just stuck this in this section. Yeah. I don't know. Are we done with Jughead voiceovers? We haven't had one in like yeah. two episodes. Well, I don't think we can say they're done forever after two episodes. I think we have to wait a few more episodes before we, you know, sound the alarms. But it was just very weird. Like, I don't understand the serpents coming in to be law enforcement anyways. It just doesn't make sense to me. Like, I don't know if maybe it's like a Canada thing where like you can't just show up and be like I want to be a cop but just the way they're like being taught to clear a building and the trainee jackets and like having to start over because someone died just why is this happening like what was the point what's the purpose I don't it doesn't make any sense like the only thing I can think of where this would pan out is that they're gonna learn all these skills and then they're gonna use them to like raid the farm at some point but like ugh. well I'm I'm okay with the serpents being like trained to be on the correct side of the law and they're children well okay yeah I get that but like I mean in like a volunteer standard it doesn't make sense for them to be you're right being trained how to like enter buildings but they're also 
Like they're also the the government or not the government the um the police force is also being run by an ex gang member and like they're all in a gang so I feel like they're being treated a little bit differently. It's weird that Mr. Keller is just chill with it happening, but that's okay. Uh, but most importantly, I'm just like this is just setting up that something bad is going to happen because Jughead and the serpents disobeyed his father when his father said they're not ready. That's all that this scene was for. I did love. And this is a really deep cut, so I'm not sure if anyone's going to get it. Every single one of those serpents was wearing the cursed shirt of Harry Potter. Do you do you know what the cursed shirt of Harry Potter is? No, I'm sorry. Look at every single Harry Potter movie picture and movie poster and, like, DVD cover from the third, fourth, fifth, sixth, and seventh movies. And he is wearing the exact same shirt in every single it's one. Just, it's just a gray t-shirt. It's, like, a really light blue gray t-shirt, but it's got the, a dark blue, like, ring around the top and rings around the sleeves and they're all wearing that same shirt and it's just a really weird harry potter easter egg but anyway i don't think it's a harry potter easter egg i just think you're looking for harry potter easter eggs everywhere you go no one should have a like one shirt i'm not saying it's an easter egg in riverdale i'm saying within harry potter it's super weird oh okay yeah that is very strange but like you know what it makes sense because harry was poor and his family like he just got like dudley's hand-me-downs so of course he only has one shirt i don't think any male between the ages of like 13 and 17 doesn't grow at all i mean just have the same shirt yeah but he grows but his shirt was too big and then he grew into it it was still probably too Uh big because deli's huge all right that's the whole thing sure all right shall we talk about veronica and then come back to the jughead stuff later do we have to i mean we could do it briefly like this this episode was a pretty standard riverdale like each of the four main characters have their own plot lines they intermittent a little bit but for the most part they're doing their own thing except I wasn't angry with it overall like nothing in it made me super excited but nothing made me super mad either yeah I the like there were some parts that were good and there's some parts that were bad I'm just like Veronica's doesn't add up with anyone else's stuff so it's just annoying that's all I think the problem is I liked season one Veronica when she was like the bad girl who's trying to be good now and she's like the queen bee but she wants to be friends with Betty and and stuff like that like that was fun it's not fun to just have her like dealing with her parent drama at all times yeah I just I like I Hiram and Hermione are not a believable couple to me so I just don't care um anyways so the start of the episode we've got Hermione is like hanging up on the phone with Hiram that was Hermione right yeah Yeah, Hermione hangs up on the phone uh Veronica comes in and Hermione is absolutely livid because Hiram is opening his prison but she the mayor of Riverdale has not been invited to the ribbon cutting ceremony now I don't think that this is how any of that works I think that the mayor would just be there. It just would happen. Yeah, like, Hiram can have, you know, control over Hermione, his wife, but I don't think he has control over her, the mayor. Yeah, no, like, the mayor would be at a ribbon cutting. Yeah. So That's just how it is. I, I do love Veronica just chiming in, being like, yo, mom, chill, you did try to kill him twice, so, like, fair point that he doesn't want you there. Yeah, it was... Yeah, there's like some nice uh teen drama moment, but then it's like serious, like super super serious content. Um, yeah, because Hermione's whole thing is that she's she's scared because without Hiram's protection, their enemies, whoever these enemies are, are going to come after her. Because apparently, whenever a marriage unravels in the mob world, the wife of a mafia boss simply disappears. I don't. Has this been a thing that we've known? Is this true in real life? Like, where is this coming from? I mean, I don't know why you think. I have any sort of knowledge about real life mobs but I mean I can ask around I guess uh but I I don't know how true that is I feel like in like the genuine mafia they wouldn't get divorced it would be either they stay together no matter what or like the husband murders the wife for like being disloyal or something like it just I don't know I just feel like I don't understand they're so honest with each other they know that Hermione tried to kill Hiram they know that Hiram's like a shady person with the whole drug deal stuff why can't they just be like okay we're we can see other people and we don't have to live together anymore but like we need to just basically keep up the guise of being married just to be protected because Mary in a family you You need trust. And now that there is no trust, there's no family. All right. Whatever. Whatever. (laughs) Yeah. So Veronica is just like still trying to play matchmaker. She's like, oh, go to a go to marriage, you know, therapy and stuff, which is like 
good try, but but Hermione is just like, oh, he he's given up. You tried to kill him. I don't think that's exactly the same as like giving up. Like when were these people in love anyway? From the second we met them, it seemed like, oh shoot, I'm stuck in this marriage with this guy and I'm like afraid to be with him. And that yeah, was it. It's not it's not good. They're not a good match. We need them to be apart. I'm also not on Hermione's side here. Like I find myself being on Hiram's side for whatever reason, which is just never a good place to be. I mean, I'm not on either of their sides because neither of them have a good side. Hiram does have like more legitimate claims for what Hermione did against him. I don't know. I, I loved I loved Veronica being like, um, I'm still fighting for this family and you tried to kill Archie so many times. Hiram's like, yeah, yeah, there's water under the bridge. Like it's fine. I died. Look, I, I laughed out loud so hard during Because he that. just so dismissively, oh, water under the bridge. Yeah. And like, I get that she's all upset about it, but also like him and Archie are actually kind of chill. So I think it's, it's like he kind of has a point there. They had a truce. Yeah, Archie got a free gym. Yeah, which just shows even more that Veronica is just like out of the loop. But she also tries to say that she broke up with Archie when he was at death's door, like to do it for Hiram. And I'm like, ah, I feel like this is like revisionist. And you actually broke up with Archie because Archie was a punchaholic at the time. Well, and because Archie didn't appreciate her welcome home party where she sang to him. Yeah, can't forget that. Uh, Never forget. Yeah, whatever. Um, And then Hermione gets some dead fish. And I just wrote, pretty sure Veronica sent it. So. Actually, um, what you wrote is, LOL, what if Veronica sent it? I'd love that. (laughs) Whatever. Same thing. (laughs) Yeah, and Hermione's all scared, and Veronica confronts Hiram about it, and is just like, fine, if you're going to get a divorce, at least just like pretend to be together in public, which is basically what I said at the beginning they should do. And Mm -hmm. they open up the detention center, and Veronica's all happy because Hiram and Hermione are pretending to be together, and it just, yeah, it just reminds me of, like, every single TV show when people get a divorce or separate, but there's always, like, some kind of ceremony where they have to pretend to be together in real life. Another thing that goes on in Revenge a lot. Yeah, it's just, like, a classic teen drama trope moment. Yeah, and and Hiram, like us, is on to Veronica and figures it out, and uh, he got the marriage annulled, which I had to kind of look up the definition because I wasn't exactly sure what the difference was, but basically sounds like the marriage, like in in terms of, I guess, like the law and God's eyes, their their marriage never happened to begin with. I'm not exactly sure on what grounds Hiram was able to annul his marriage because yeah, usually I'm- it's like duress or like... If one if one person was underage when they got married or if one person was already married or if there were some legal issues, I'm not really sure what category he falls into there. Well, first of all, if someone's already married, um, the second marriage just wouldn't be valid, so they wouldn't need it. Well, that's basically but, what um, getting your marriage annulled means is like it was an invalid marriage, so we're not really getting a divorce. It's like it never happened in the first place. Well, yeah, no, but like if someone was already married to someone else, the marriage should, like they wouldn't be able to actually get married because they would have still been legally married to someone else. So it would be like it literally never happened whereas an annulment is like it happened but like we're gonna make it as if it never happened which I didn't know I don't know I feel like way way back in the day like super historical it would be like you could get an annulment if you could prove that like the married couple had never had sex with each other but then once they had sex it was like "Mm, yeah that was that was another another reason I looked up or like if one person if if people get married and the one person is unable to consummate the marriage for whatever reason that's like another reason you can get an annulment yeah it's a it's very odd I highly doubt that there's any actual rational reason that Hiram could have annulled this marriage like if we really dug deep into the the law I guess I'm just surprised they didn't give us a reason like Hiram could have just said oh yeah like technically Hermione was I don't know not I don't know because I just feel like there isn't a good one like they couldn't do it because there is no like valid reason yeah and so then Hiram calls out Veronica that she was the one who sent the fish to Hermione and Veronica was just hoping that they could pretend long enough that they'd begin to feel real love again which like did they ever feel real love yeah Mm. I mean I'm sure like back before he went to jail and stuff they probably did at some point I don't know not that we've ever seen but I'm sure it happened I mean I'm not so sure but I like the optimism yeah um and uh he walks away and pats her on the shoulder which i guess is a little better than just storming out but like i mean at least give her a hug she's trying here when he's like really mean about it he's like it's as if our marriage never happened which is kind of like a slap on the face to veronica because it's like well what does that mean for her now 
Yeah. It, you know, I wonder legally if that affects the child. At, eh, probably not. I don't know. I feel like it's very difficult to get an annulment from someone you have a kid with. Yeah. I feel like you'd have to get a divorce. Like, it just doesn't make sense to me. And, like, I'm not a lawyer. If we have any lawyer correspondents who know, like, family law or anything and are able to explain this, I'd appreciate it because it just doesn't make any sense to me. Because it basically sounds like he did it in the show for two reasons. One, so that she could kind of get off his back and that he would still, like, technically be protecting Hermione from the mafia. And also, he, I think he did it to sort of absolve any guilt he had towards, like, religious reasons so yeah which like but we've never seen him as a religious person well during her uh what was that i wanted to say coronation what was the thing she Um, she did where she wore the white dress what is that called confirmation yeah so it was veronica's confirmation back then it seemed like slightly a religious episode it was also weirdly the episode when veronica found out that her parents were in the mafia so whatever i mean apparently there are heavy ties between catholicism and the mafia which who knew yeah interesting news to me all right let's talk about archie yeah so archie it's super cute jughead's in his kitchen it's adorable jughead's like now i have two kitchens to raid but do, honestly, you don't need two kitchens to raid like go, go raid your but he own. used to have no kitchens to raid and now he, he had has a two. trailer there was cute. a kitchen in the trailer you think there were snacks I don't think that trailer had any snacks. Anyways, so it's super cute. And Archie gets a phone call and they still have a home phone and it's still like, was it a rotary phone? I feel like it was a rotary phone. I don't like, think it was a rotary phone. I think phone. I might, I maybe just put that in my head that it was a rotary oh phone. Gosh, but that would be adorable. Anyways, in my mind, it's a rotary phone and it gets a call and it's a collect call from Leopold and Loeb. Leopold and Loeb Detention Center and it's Mad Dog being like yo what's up and Archie's like yeah whatever hey what's up and like I thought Mad Dog was dead well it not like I didn't actually necessarily think Mad Dog was dead but I thought Archie thought he was dead like we just completely skip over when Archie found out that he's not dead what happened to him why is Leopold I maybe I'm just dumb but I kind of thought Leopold and Loeb was like over when Warden Norton died guess not I mean it turns out that a prison does doesn't just end when the warden dies. Uh, yeah, but I just like I I don't know. And we were led to believe that Mad Dog died. Now he's just back. And this is just like not great writing because if you're gonna bring Mad Dog back, that's fine. But you need to at least acknowledge the fact that we thought he was dead. I mean, maybe we weren't supposed to think he was dead. We were just supposed to think he was fighting. I don't know. Anyways, it's so weird. And so it turns out that because of the new lodge prison, that juveniles are gonna be transported to Leopold and Loeb, which like. Just just doesn't no, make sense. No, they're going to be taken from Leopold and Loeb. From Leopold and Loeb yeah. to Lodge Prison. Sorry. It just doesn't make any sense. They're, they don't do combination juvenile and adult detention centers. That's just simply not how it works. None, none of this makes sense, but whatever. So Mad Dog and all of Archie's old friends, Thumper and Baby Teeth, which, okay. They're all, all of them were about to go on parole apparently, but their parole was canceled last minute and they're just going to be transferred. Not really sure how the cancellation of this parole thing worked. Yeah, that's and, not how parole works. Yeah, and Mad Dog's... Mad Dog is all worried because his family isn't answering his calls, which I thought was going to be like a thing where they were killed or something, but okay, guess they weren't. And it's just, it just doesn't make any sense because I'm not sure, I'm not sure why they're there. I'm not sure. I I just, I'm just over it. I mean, same. Like literally anything about anyone being in jail, I don't care about anymore on this show. Just enough. I've had enough. I've had enough prison. I've had enough Sisters of Quiet Mercy. Let's stop locking people up. But Archie is going to meet with Veronica and in the gym that Hiram gave him, which like maybe it's just my paranoia because it's kind of the same thing with the whole speakeasy and the picture there. I just feel like, I feel like these places should be bugged. Like maybe Hiram and Archie really are just chill with each other. I don't know, but it's water under the bridge, Mary. Whatever. So apparently this place is not bugged and Archie decides this is the best place to talk to Veronica about stuff with her dad, even though it's literally her his dad's old gym. And so Veronica's like, oh, oh my gosh, well, the governor is going to be coming to town, and so we can just talk to him. And they sort of ambush yes. the governor, and the governor is like, wait a second, I thought you, I was going to be meeting your dad. And she's like, oh no, that was just pretense to lure you in here. So at least she's up you don't, front. Don't say that. No, you don't say, oh, that's just pretense. You say like, oh yeah, he's on his way, but while you wait, can you talk to Archie? I I don't know. It whatever. It's just silly. Uh, and and so yeah, they basically tell him like, oh, you need to let these guys out of prison, otherwise we are like going to tell everybody about the fighting club, which 
I think this is a flawed plan because, first off, we don't know for a fact that all of these juveniles are, like, innocent or should be just Roman free. We don't we don't necessarily know that. I'm not saying that they should go to Hiram's prison, but I think it's a tricky line. Yeah, um, but I mean, if they were already supposed to be on parole and it got canceled, like, maybe they should be. I don't know. I guess. But, so there's that, and then there's, like, the element of why don't you also tell him... And also, we better not find out about any kind of fighting ring once we take these guys. I just feel like Hiram has put probably so much work into, like, having Mad Dog and Baby Teeth and all these other people fight that he's not just going to be like, okay, chill. But we never even get Hiram's reaction to this. We just, we only have the governor saying it. So I guess Hiram doesn't care. Well, and it also could be, like, is Hiram involved in the fighting or is it just kind of something that is going to happen anyways? Just, like, something he delegated to someone else and was like yeah that's cool if you want to have this fighting thing happen in my gym cool I just want to cut of the profit maybe yeah he's like I don't want to run it but like and I don't want to hear about it but like I'm gonna need 15% off the top yeah now we also got some unfortunate bit of news here I hate to break it to everyone but Archie said that if the governor doesn't do this that he's going to talk to every take his take his story to every news outlet in the tri-state area which, for those of you wondering, is New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut sort of area. Sometimes can include a little bit into some other states, but um, this is uh, this is not great news for the Kowski cast. Yeah, this is confirmation that uh, Riverdale is not in Illinois. <laughs> but we can still pretend that it's in Chicago. I mean, I feel like we had kind of gotten news that it was in like upstate new york i mean we know that but i just don't love it as much well you know in our minds we still have our headcanon i guess this makes a little more sense why veronica's always able to just like order stuff from new york city all the time (sighs) i just assumed she was buying plane seats for stuff well (laughs) they could both be true (laughs) and so i don't really understand why archie doesn't just do this regardless of whether or not the governor like sets these dudes free i don't i think he just learned and just enough evilness from hiram i don't think it's evil to like like, he's just saving the information to only use it when it will benefit him you know yeah i guess we'll see and so archie talks with mad dog and some other people turns out one of them's baby teeth i swear this is a different actor than baby teeth before i just don't remember him looking like this i don't remember any of these people well you gotta remember mad dog even though we forgot his well, name except a few for Ma- i remember mad dog i just don't remember anyone else yeah and so basically it sounds like there's a bunch of dudes they don't have any place to go archie's like oh that's cool i'll just set you up in the gym and oh look i mr keller works here all right did I don't, okay. Yeah, so guess uh, there's one boxing gym in town and it's Archie's now. So I guess Keller works for Archie, which does not bode well for him getting paid. Certainly not. No, I mean, I think we think we kind of know at this point Keller he must have just made a ton of money from something else and he just has it and he's probably getting some of that sweet sweet lawyer McCoy money yeah I was gonna say he's living off of lawyer McCoy yeah and then Elio's back who's just another character we definitely yeah. did not need he was like oh a fight club people who are able to box yes I will show up and so he is looking for boxers because apparently he is actually a boxing manager which I guess makes sense of like the last fight situation but whatever um so that's gonna be a plot point later oh yeah Um, i mean definitely elio is here for a few more episodes and archie's super judgmental to anyone who's like yeah we don't want your offer and i'm like um archie like you can't really judge people because you also accepted elio's offer to fight like two episodes ago or whenever it was yeah he was gonna throw it like he only at the very last moment gained a conscience and decided he would like fight honestly so whatever yeah and so mad dog's grandmother and his brother apparently are living in some really old crappy apartment that has been taken over by drug dealers in masks and so archie's like oh cool we'll just get rid of the gargoyles i don't know why they can't just tell the law enforcement and tell they know the law they know the law but okay no they uh won't do that nope so instead he's going to go tell jughead to take care of this problem which we'll talk about more in just a second but safe to say probably not gonna end well no not great yep so all right let's get into the jughead plot line because it intersects with archie's towards the end there which mm-hmm. like you mentioned at the top of this archie and jughead had a cute moment in the kitchen talking and it's like i'm just still trying to figure out if i'm happy with moments like that because 
I do think they're better than what they were doing for most of season three, which is just like not even having scenes together at all and not even acknowledging that these people are supposed to be friends. So Mm -hmm. at least we got a tiny little scene of it, but I I feel like I need more than just like one every few episodes. I feel like I need a couple to remind me of that and make people seem like they legitimately know each other. Well, it's like season three, we're never going to get that much but like season one they could have built this friendship so it was believable and they- yeah but they didn't they didn't build it in season one they spent all this time in season one and two having them fight and like at least they're friendly now but we just it's just not realistic whatever yeah, so absolutely fp tells gladys basically what he found out about the trailer being set on fire and uh jughead is just like having this he's standoff. so unimpressed yeah he's having this standoff with his mom and being like yeah i know what you're up to and and I want to get you out of town. And his mom's like, oh my gosh, I'm here to stay. And also don't try to stop me again. So I don't and know. And so to, it's, which that's really awkward. But before that is the most awkward moment where they're talking about drugs and Jellybean obviously has been instructed to like take FP out of the picture if ever the drug conversation comes up. And so Jellybean's like, come on, dad, we're missing Saturday morning cartoons. Yeah. And they like, have oh yeah, this super, works. super normal father-daughter relationship that definitely is is not staged at all. Yeah, it's 100% just love and affection from father to daughter. Like, daughter to I feel bad for FP, but I don't like the fact that FP, previous Serpent King, is, like, just being lied to by everyone in his family. I don't like the fact that he's being, like, manipulated so easily. And I don't like the fact that Jellybean basically doesn't have any other job besides just to distract FP occasionally. Yeah, I hate it. I hate everything about it. Yeah. So, don't love that, but her, she just does not talk like a normal human being right now now which i feel like he's just trying to be like hey audience look she's trying to distract him yeah like they had to make it super obvious yeah anyway so jughead and archie talk then and that's when jughead is like uh should i tell fp everything like i probably should but i just don't want him and my mom to be in a fight uh and i'm like yeah you definitely should tell your dad he's the sheriff yeah tell your dad tell your dad even if he wasn't the sheriff tell your dad I, I don't know. I just, I hate, I hate the motivation of not telling people who can actually deal with these problems information just because you're afraid you're going to hurt them. Like, they're mm-hmm. always going to find out at some point and then they're going to be more hurt that you didn't tell them in the first place. Just never a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. So Jughead then talks to the serpents and is like, hey, so my dad doesn't think we're ready, but yeah, we're going to take it to the streets. Okay. I mean, how about listen to your dad? Yeah, it's just, ugh, it's so much. So then they're like, okay, we're not listening to FP. We're going to go do this. So Sweet Pea goes to the comic book store and asks for game enhancement, which I guess is the term to get uh, Fizzle Rocks, which like, I feel like they could have found something more subtle. Anyway, so... Well, I also don't think, like, I think the Fizzle Rock thing is tied in with the Griffins and Gargoyles stuff, but I, I feel like there's probably some people who take Fizzle Rocks who are not playing G&G, right? Yeah, no, there definitely is. And, like, that's when they find out that the drugs are being sold by the Gargoyles and you look for a Gargoyle on a wire. So instead of looking for, like, a pair of shoes thrown over an electrical wire, you look for a Gargoyle on a wire, which I don't know how they would secure it, but whatever. And that's how yeah, you know... Yeah, because we don't even see this at any point in the episode. Yeah, and that's how you know where drugs are being sold. And, like, I want to know what does this Gargoyle look like? How big is it? How is it secured to the electrical line? Like, I have so many questions. I assume they meant a Gargoyle mask, but that's really the only thing I could think of. But even then, how is it secured to the power line? I don't know. It doesn't make any sense. So that's why we don't even get to see it. And then there's just, like, a really weird scene of Jughead. Like, it's, like, a weird montage of him getting all these calls on, like, old-fashioned walkie-talkie type systems being like, yeah, okay, you've got this section of the street blocked off. Great, great. Another successful drug bust. Oh, yay. And, like, marking them on a big map. I don't know why they're not using cell phones, first off. That seems odd. I also don't know, like, are they, like, injuring people? Are they catching them? Are they sending them? I mean, they're not sending them to the police, you would assume. I just, I don't understand why any of this is better than just telling his dad and having the police actually arrest these kids. Yeah, I don't, like, what are they trying to do? Save people from prison? Like, they want to stop the drug game. Like, it just doesn't make sense. I don't like it. It it doesn't make sense how they're going about this, and also we've probably said it doesn't make sense about 40 times already this episode. We, this is the Scotty Salton episode of Kowski Cast Riverdale Recap. 
A, it doesn't make sense. B, it doesn't make sense. And C, it doesn't make any sense. Sorry. Sorry. But yeah, so FP and Jughead then get in a fight because the serpents try to do a drug bust, but it's like they accidentally run into an actual drug bust that's happening. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's a really comical moment, actually, where FP just like jumps out of the back of a truck that was stationed there, which was kind of funny. I enjoyed that. But also, I just, I feel like a drug bust wouldn't be happening from the local sheriff's department anyways. Wouldn't there be like actual, like a drug squad do any i don't know i don't know i just don't think they have enough cop i'm also not exactly sure why jughead and the serpents like jumping in there somehow messed up the drug bust i guess maybe they didn't quite have proof yet but can't they just like pat the kid down and find the drugs on him i don't know i don't really know how drug selling works i mean i just i don't know to what extent they have to bust them like do they have to bust them in the act of selling it or is it just possession i don't know i am a law-abiding citizen but i'm not on law enforcement so i just I don't know. Yeah, we are not taking it upon ourselves to be the DEA of anywhere. Yeah. So Jughead and FP get in a big fight. Gladys comes in and she's kind of like, ha ha ha, Jughead. Guess that's like one for me and zero for you. But actually, like Jughead should probably been like, yeah, mom, I busted like 20 of your people. So not really. Like, okay, sorry, I'm out out one. Yeah, I, I don't really know. Yeah. So this is when Jughead section meets back up with Archie. And Jughead's like, try, or Archie wants Jughead and the Serpents to go help him clear out this creepy old apartment complex of all of the gargoyles who are there cooking and, and selling drugs. super creepy. Like, this whole apartment building is terrifying. It what It is terrifying, but I thought it was actually a relatively interesting sequence. Like, not really the fighting or anything, but they just, they filmed it kind of cool. There were a couple cool, like, pans up through the ceiling and through the floor, and it looked kind of cool, and they had some, I don't know, interesting lighting. It Like, it, you know, it's not as impressive as, you know, like, Breaking Bad, but they, they, did, they did an okay job. I was okay with it. Uh, I definitely noticed, and I wrote down in my notes, uh-oh, baby teeth is staying behind the, at the door. That's never good. And, uh, yeah. yeah, it's, uh, it's not good. No, it's not good. There's just, like, the guy with, there's the gun, and then, like, the gun gets shot, and then everyone, like, comes out of their apartments, and then there's, like, just the one guy shooting, and then Jughead almost gets shot, and it's... And then Archie almost gets shot, and then they they eventually, Archie and Jughead eventually capture Kurtz, which I guess, like, partway through this mission, that was the goal? I thought the goal was just to get rid of the people so that Mad Dog's grandmother can have a nicer place to live or something, but... Yeah, I thought it was just straight gentrification, but I guess not. Uh, And yeah, so Mad Dog is gonna fight, like, 15 dudes, so Archie's like, I'll help, and then apparently the two of them are able to just do the whole fight, just the two of them, because apparently Archie's so good at fighting, and this is definitely a plot point. I like Whatever. to think that Mad Dog did 90% of the work. He, Mad Dog, uh, 100% did at least 90% of the work. Mad Dog is a good fighter. Archie sucks. So then Jughead has Kurtz alone and like Jughead is not the person who should be apprehending anyone because he's small and then Kurtz goes I'm ready to ascend are you and then he like kicks off of a wall and they just like magically fly through a window which like there's no way that window should be fragile enough that like it didn't look like it was that much force to like push them both out a window like the the window could probably have busted open I mean it was a boarded up window with like wood but like the window like I could believe that that would bust open but probably it would like crack first and then they would have time to like steady themselves it's not like they're gonna go Through one they wouldn't just immediately fly through it's not made of candy like it's and especially like i feel like when it's boarded up that would make it harder because like conceivably wood is also difficult to break i don't know anyway so they like go flying out the window and kurtz just hits the ground running he just would at least be winded like there's i when i was five i fell off the top of a slide on the playground and i had the wind knocked completely out of me they fell multiple stories to the ground kurtz just gets up and runs immediately there's someone there to check if they're all right and jacket's like no get kurtz get kurtz like yeah how did archie just like teleport downstairs all of a sudden i i i just don't understand it's just stupid nope none of this makes any sense so kurtz is gone they failed whatever and jughead confronts gladys and she's like you're not gonna tell fp blah 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 this is terrible and uh it turns out yeah baby tooth is still or baby teeth whatever his name is he's still missing because duh never stand alone by the front door by yourself 
himself. He wasn't even like the biggest yeah. dude. And uh, then they get Archie gets a, a tooth sent to him in the mail, and uh, FP stumbles upon like the same scene we had back in episode one. There's like a gargoyle statue yeah. thing. It's not quite as scary as the original one. I feel like it's also we've just seen it so many times that we don't care anymore. Yeah. Um, I'm much more troubled by like the blood coming out of the orifice and the carved ugh it's so gross yeah I, I don't love the carved stuff on his back and his teeth are all missing which seems not necessary it's also a little bit confusing because it makes it seem like maybe like was Gladys involved in this at all this killing and mutilation yeah and that's what I'm like who is the, who is about. running the gargoyles right now is did Kurtz do this ew I hope not I mean Maybe. I don't know who else would have like I, I guess it was Kurtz it's just there's a lot of questions uh so yay we are back at square one 17 episodes yeah. through the season and love that still, love that we have been here. podcasting for um over 17 weeks because they take all these weeks off and uh still no closer to knowing who's actually the gargoyle king it's nope. infuriating nope so whatever all right now for the actual probably meat of the episode or at least the stuff that i generally found the most interesting because we have been waiting for more farm action for so long let's get to the farm stuff yes so start of the episode we have betty is at pops and veronica's talking to her about the divorce she's having trouble with it and evelyn comes in because of course she does because someone's having family issues and she's putting up flyers for the farm open house so that people can see the renovated premises of the uh, sisters of quiet mercy which i don't i don't know how much time has passed but apparently enough time to renovate it you can meet the farm elders and you're going to learn the values and practices so veronica says like fine you can put up the poster whatever and evelyn leaves and veronica turns straight to betty and is like yes i'll go with you because obviously betty was going to go to the open house yeah which at least we're like finally doing a little bit of this infiltration and they're finally trying to like pretend to be part of the farm or i mean it doesn't really work but like took them long enough to do this like i was actually mildly shocked when betty didn't tell evelyn like no you can't put your flyers here because i feel like that's what betty would have done like two episodes ago that's what betty would have done two minutes ago in the end of the heathers episode but like finally something that actually makes sense so then they go to the farm open house and kevin is apparently high enough up that he's leading tours i thought he just joined yeah i thought he was new but i guess not whatever and so i don't know why because he said oh look two of our farmies are expressing themselves artistically and i thought it was going to be some kind of weird like sexual yoga or something that they were going to see but no they're just like painting it looked like painting like that you see in elementary school with like the big brown paper and they're just painting on the wall so uh i guess that's just where my mind has led me at this point but whatever we see Megan and Garrett who will probably never come back ever in yeah, this show. Yeah, I didn't even get their names, but good for you. And so uh, Kevin asks what people think is behind the gargoyle doors. Betty's being snarky. Uh, she then sees a green door and she's like, oh, but what's behind that door? And he's like, uh, it's a janitor's closet. Yeah, and then Kevin's just like, okay, time to see the gardens. I'm like, wait a second. You didn't even like tell them what was behind the gargoyle door. So I thought that was going to be a big plot point, but then it turns out that Betty's mom comes out of there and she's wearing the classic cult white outfit i guess that's a yeah. thing now all white everything yeah i guess except for like the kid farmies don't really wear that they just wear like the team farm or whatever t-shirt yeah so, i don't know i don't it's know very, but very very strange yeah um, i also am just continually frustrated that we've never actually seen them on a real farm it bugs me yep so i don't know if the, an actual farm exists i don't know like why like, they where did they live here. before i don't know i don't know are there still people there do they move everyone to the sisters of quiet mercy I i'm not know. sure Ugh. i like i still can't even tell if people live with them at the sisters of quiet mercy or if it's more like just where they go to hang out i, I have no idea well but look where does alice live she sold her house yeah i guess i guess she lives there I don't, I don't know. know. Hey, it doesn't matter. So it's Alice is in her classic farmy gear and Betty tries to get information from her. Uh, and Alice says something about like, you're the one who forsook me. And it's like, um, she literally tried to save you so many times, Alice. Yeah. I mean, I, I like, I kind of get Alice's point though, because Alice hasn't been pushing Betty away. Betty has just been like, like Betty is good intentioned trying to save Alice, but she's not even bothering to try and figure out like what it is Alice likes 
likes with the farm. Like, she's never had, like, a legit conversation with Alice. She's just like, oh, my God, Mom, don't do it. Don't join the farm. It's probably dangerous. And, like, Betty kind of has that thing where she talks about the farm as if she knows everything about it, even though she realistically knows nothing about it. Yeah, it's just very bizarre. So then Betty gets asked if she wants to do one of the quick and easy interviews to join the call. Yeah, she gets asked by some dude, and I'm like, hey, why don't we get to see more of him? Like, who's he? I don't know. Kind of interested in his story. Wow, we didn't even get his Mary name. Strikes again. We get Megan and Garrett's name, but not his. Look, I need to know everyone's name because last time we didn't know someone's name, it turned out that their name was Peaches and Cream. So I need to know these things. And the time before that, it was Benjamin Button. So exactly. You're so it's not very wrong. Um, but yeah, so Betty ends up sitting down with Evelyn and going through this like interview process, which basically consists of: Have you ever bitten your fingernails or felt stressed? Which is like pretty much everybody. And uh, she asks like what her occupation is, what her name is. That's like it. And and Evelyn's kind of I don't know. She's clearly not taking this seriously, or clearly knows Betty's not well, taking like, it seriously. Neither of them are taking it seriously. Yeah. And so Evelyn asks Betty if Betty considers herself to be a cold person. And I personally like I don't think Betty is a hundred percent cold, but I think in general Betty does come across much more cold, like a cold person nowadays than like I think she thinks of herself as a warm person, warm caring person, because she probably was until you know the TV show Riverdale started. But I think so much <laughs> stuff has happened in her life. She is kind of a cold person now, and I would have loved her to just say it. Yeah, but I think she was like, even though she wasn't trying or taking it seriously, she thought that no was the right answer. Well, that's why I wanted her to say yes, because I wanted to see what Evelyn's reaction was. And it was kind of like that thing where Evelyn knows that Betty's a cold person. Betty knows that she's a cold person. So let's just admit it to each other. Yeah, it would be nice. You're right. Um, But obviously, like, it doesn't matter at all. And uh, uh, so it Sure, Evelyn's like, we'll call you, but, like, she's never getting called. It's one of those, like, "Mm, don't call us, we'll call you. And so she, like, Betty, decides that she needs to go a little bit deeper to infiltrate the farm. So she meets up with Cheryl at Pops because she thinks Cheryl will be able to get in with the farm because she is a better actress. And Cheryl's like, but, like, what has the farm really done that's so bad? It's a cult. No, it's a cult. It doesn't matter. Well, I I know, but but, like, from the outside perspective, with the exception of that one lady who said that somebody drowned, like... I mean, the farm hasn't been, I don't know, terrible. Like, I, I like, it's because we just haven't seen it yet. Like, there's no way they're harmless. No, I, I don't think they're harmless. And I'm not saying, like, I think all, you know, most cults are probably, I don't know. I don't want to generalize against cults. I, I will generalize I don't against know cults. anything about they're cults. They're bad okay? and they manipulate people and they prey on people who are, like, vulnerable and they're not good. There's no good story of a cult that, like, helped people. Yeah. Yeah, I I I agree. I just I don't want to act like I know everything about cults just because I've seen like three TED Talks. I mean, I'm not pretending I know everything about cults, but I find out one thing about cults is that they're predatory and bad. Okay, great. But Cheryl is like, okay, sure, I'll do this because then at least I can find out some information about Jason. I'm not really sure why the whole Jason thing is like a great reason for Cheryl to agree. Well, because he like just died and Betty is emotionally manipulating Cheryl. Yeah, I I guess. I I, I wonder, like, you kind of wonder, did Polly and Jason know that the farm was a cult or? I don't think so. I don't think so either. I'm not really sure. I don't think anyone joins a cult realizing they're joining a cult. Nobody's like, oh, yes, a cult. Let's join. I mean, I guess. I'm not really sure what they're marketing themselves as, just some sort of organization. Uh, It's because it's the thing where they market themselves as like, you are downtrodden, you are sad, you are alone, you feel like you have nobody, but we are a group that can help you. and we will bring you into the fold and we will make you a part of something and we will make you connected to something and then it brings in the people that were unhappy and it gives them that sense of community even if it is doing all this other horrible stuff that it really draws them in right and it's just something that then there's so many people who've been drawn in and they have this sense of belonging that like the lower level farmies like they don't know what they're doing they just think that they found you know finally where they belong it's the upper level people who are like the true evil like I don't know how much Evelyn is like complicit in it and like how much she recognizes it but like Edgar Evernever is evil because running a cult is evil even if you don't realize it is at first like it's so messed up like it just like brings people in as like a community or a place to belong and they're just preying on people who don't have a place to belong it's really messed up why do they need more people because I guarantee you there's some sort of financial component to this and the more people they get the more money they get and then Edgar Evernever is gonna like 
abscond with all this cash. So Edgar ever never has a cult because he wants money? Well, I mean, I don't think that's ever part of it, but it's also like the people who run cults normally are like super charismatic people who realize that they can use that to, you know, take advantage of people. And it doesn't necessarily have to be money. It can be all kinds of stuff. Like, um, I feel like I learned the most about cults when I listened to the podcast Heaven's Gate, which came out last year. I highly recommend that to anyone who's like kind of interested in how the inner workings are, where it like starts out as something that seems like totally normal. And then it just goes completely off the rails and it's not okay. And uh, you kind of see how the corruption like breeds worse results over time. Like I'm certainly not an expert, but like it's messed up. And there's yeah. almost always some sort of financial component where it's someone who has that like personality is able to use that to make money. Yeah, it makes sense. So, and especially in the case of the farm where not just, you know, not the leader is not just charismatic, they're also Chad Michael Murray and so they're Yeah, he's super also hot. like the hottest guy yeah. ever. So, that's cool. And uh Cheryl agrees to this plan and her way to get in is she does a big fake crying thing in the bathroom and uh, I thought that like <laughs> I thought this was going to lead to somehow Evelyn catching Cheryl by finding out that her and Tony hadn't really broken up, but it, it's a non-issue sometimes. Some, sometimes I'm dead on with my predictions, like the whole fish thing with Veronica, and sometimes I have this happen, and it just doesn't happen. No one's right 100% of the time. <laughs> yeah. And so Betty equips Cheryl with a wire, and I also thought, oh, this will be caught. Nope, wasn't, so okay. Yeah, that was very bizarre that that wasn't caught, and it's weird that Betty has this, like, high-level spy equipment to, like, also transmit the audio back. Yeah, and they, very, didn't very really, they didn't really give a good reason of why they have it. She's just like, oh, my mom used to have it from being on the newspaper. That's not like your mom wasn't a detective. Yeah, I don't, it's very strange to me. So Cheryl goes in, and she's having her interview with Evelyn and uh she does not bite her fingernails or cuticles um her favorite letter is Pantone's flame scarlet her favorite color color. yeah sorry favorite color I don't know what I said but oh I just looked up yeah her favorite color is Pantone's flame scarlet which I just looked up because I didn't know what Pantone was but apparently just like a name of color swatches and uh not not in love with flame scarlet I mean, Pantone is how we get the color of the year every year, and this year's color of the year is a really good one, so. Yeah, but this one, this flame scarlet is just, like, the most, it's just, like, fire truck red, or, like, fire mm-hmm. hydrant red. It's not, like, a pretty red. It's not a bad red. I don't know. It's just very basic. Whatever. Um, and then. I mean, what were you expecting from her? I don't, I don't know, just something, like, a little, like, more rich, or, like, like, something that's, like, uh, I don't know, closer to burgundy. No, she's a classic. Yeah, but I just, I like, I like burgundy. So well, you're not Cheryl. So well, well, that is that has been established. Uh, Edgar comes in, and so I don't know why. I guess Evelyn just always only asks these three really basic questions, and then Edgar comes in with the hard hitting stuff, like uh, if you've experienced the loss of a loved one, and if you're able to grieve about it. Now, at the time, I thought this was just your typical sort of emotional manipulation kind of stuff, but then by the end of the episode, I think so. I I don't know. Is this cult just entirely made up with people who made up of people who are who have like experienced the loss of a loved one yeah it seems like they really like to take advantage of people who are like grieving the loss of someone like but like does it have to be a dead person or like is kevin grieving the loss of moose or something i think it's the loss of moose okay what about oh i was gonna say polly but i guess with her it's probably jason yeah for sure, Jason. Yeah. So we don't know what uh, Garrett and Megan, who their losses were, but yeah. I'm sure it's somebody. I mean, we may never know. No. So, uh, yeah. So then he tells her to el- elucidate on that. Yeah. A- have you ever heard that word before? Um, It sounds like a word that I've heard, but that I- not in like normal conversation or life. Like, I don't know why he didn't just say elaborate, which is a decent sized word that people know, but. I guess they wanted him to use flowery speech. Like, I could understand from context clues what that word meant, but I had never heard that word before. So I didn't, I don't know why, like, he expected a child to know that, but I guess she did. Yeah, it's very odd. I guess because she's so smart, she would definitely know those uh, big SAT words. Yeah. And so she talks about how she had tried to sort of drown herself and then had seen Jason in the water and that ever since then, and she burned down her house, and ever since then, she has sort of felt more connected to him and more like 
like herself. And so according to him, she's already been baptized and reborn in the fire. Yeah, so it's very strange because I know like they baptize people in the water and they're supposed to die or whatever. But like, um, I don't know the fire part, but okay. It's a, it's a real song of ice and fire here. You know what, Mary? Um, we're done here. <laughs> okay. Uh, but yeah, so Betty asks Cheryl all these questions. She's like, oh, he's hot. It's cool. I, I hate the fact that they're having this conversation in the bathroom where Evelyn has been known to like hide out and overhear things. So that's kind of annoying, but I guess it doesn't matter. Also, uh, a girl farmy came in and uh, <laughs> Cheryl just yells at her and is like, I'm having a private conversation with my cousin, which is kind of funny. Uh, except yeah, at this point, so I'm like, weird. there's just so many of these little things like that where I thought we're going to come back to bite them later and then just didn't. Yeah. So they, that happens a lot this episode, actually, throughout the whole Betty plotline. Basically, every time I think something bad's going to happen, it doesn't, which is kind of nice because it's different than like the typical trope you would expect. But also, I don't know, it almost let me down somehow. Like, I didn't feel like the stakes were high enough. Yeah, it just, I don't know. I, I found myself having trouble caring. Um, and then it's just very bizarre. Like, this has all been taped. And then so Cheryl asks, like, oh, what are these tapes for? Like, what happens to them? And Edgar's like, oh, yeah, we uh, use it to track your growth. And, like, she should have said she was worried that she doesn't want people to find them. I don't know. But, like, ugh, Edgar takes her down to another room. And then all of a sudden, the, like, recording device just goes to pure static. So, like, did he know she was recording the whole time? Like, No, I think it was probably just, like, they're in a freaking dungeon and it probably just stopped working or something. But, but yeah, I mean, like, Cheryl is really not a great liar. I'm kind of surprised Edgar didn't see through her a little bit more. Just because well, she was asking some really Well, I think he did see through her, questions. but he saw that he could also get to her. Yeah. So, basically, Cheryl comes back to Betty and just tells her, like, oh, yeah, I've decided to join the farm and not be your mole anymore. And Betty's a little bit, a little bit, uh, annoyed with that situation. But at this point, everyone she knows is joining the farm. So, time to take matters in her own hand. So she talks to Jughead, yeah. and we have, like, a quick just sort of, I don't know, like, They're just again, in bed, like, in their underwear. Well, like, yeah, like, why, if you're not even going to, ha like, I, it's a cop-out. It's a cop-out to just say, oh, yeah, they're still dating because, look, they're in bed together. Like, I need a little more than that. I need them why? to exchange a sentence or two about their relationship every once in a while. Why is all of her stuff still in the room? I guess she just lives there. I guess she just lives there. Ugh. We're never going to get confirmation on this, so whatever. Betty's stuff's still there, but so she just tells Jughead, like, yeah, I'm going to go and sneak into the Sisters of Quiet Mercy, and and yeah, I'm not going to be able to just call it Farm Headquarters. It's still the Sisters of Quiet Mercy. Yeah. So she's going to go in and try to take back the tapes of her mom and her sister, and they probably honestly have, like, tapes about her on there. So yeah. she's, I guess, assuming, like, if I get these tapes, then he doesn't have any information against us, which, fair, but also I would assume that he, like, has copies. Yeah, I mean, anyone who's going to the trouble of recording something is not going to the, the trouble of not backing it up, right? Like, yeah, I think so. So she ends up having this just huge scene where she breaks into the the broom closet room that's clearly not actually a broom closet and uh real quick here because I was just curious about this kind of thing it's it's room number 317 and so I was just wondering like if 317 had any kind of significance in literature movies or whatever and I actually found something kind of interesting which was there's this website that said angel number 317 is a message of congratulations from your angels and the ascended masters your recent life choices decisions and changes have paid the way for a bright and auspicious future and your positive expectations prayers and visualizations have set you on your course and the right life path your clear connection with the angels is ensuring a strong channel of communication and you are receiving divine guidance every step of the way keep up the great work and keep affirming positive outcomes so i don't know if this like if the writers knew that when they put room 317 in there but it surprisingly fits really well. I mean, we've got the word ascension there. We've got talking about your angels looking over you. I, yeah, that's very strange. I've never heard of angel numbers before, but I don't know. It, okay. was really, it was really interesting to me. But yeah, so there's like this whole loudspeaker announcement going on while Betty is searching through this room. And I really thought she was going to be caught or more likely I thought the loudspeaker announcement was going to be like, and Betty Cooper, we know you're in here. That kind of thing. Yeah, something I was really expecting something along those lines. And the fact that it didn't happen is very odd um but I guess it's nice that it didn't happen so she actually gets the tapes yeah. and she takes Cheryl's tapes too and gives the tapes 
back to Cheryl being like, they don't have anything on you now. Like, you don't have to go back because she just doesn't understand Cheryl's motivation for going back to the farm. Uh, And Cheryl's like, no, like, I'm going to keep going because I got to see Jason. I got to talk to him in the flesh, which is like, sounds fake, but okay. So now we've gotten at least a little bit of a picture into the farm. And so I assume that the farm is doing something with these mushrooms. um, Similar to what they did with Kevin, maybe? Yeah, similar to what they did with Kevin, but that makes them hallucinate that they are seeing like the person that they've lost um, is what my guess would be on this. So at least this gives Betty like a spark that she like understands more of what the farm is really doing. So she meets up with Alice and Pops. I was really surprised that Alice met her and Pops after the conversation they had the, at the start of the episode, but it was nice. But it actually was one of the more real conversations we had between the two of them. Yeah, it was nice. Like it, it's sort of one of those things where it's like Betty has figured out what's happening. So now she's okay just being up front with people. And so she's up front with Alice and then and tells Alice like, hey, did you, are you able, are you staying at the farm because you're able to see Charles? And at the time, I'm like, who the heck is Charles? I completely forgot about her dead son. So, uh, and yeah, yeah, Alice has this moment of being like, yes, it's like he was never gone. I have such a strong, pure connection with him. Like, this is the greatest thing ever. And Betty's like, okay, well, can I meet Edgar? And Alice is like, yes, you can. And, you know, you're going to love your brother so much. Like, he's just the best person. Like, he's the most beautiful boy. And it's just so gross and creepy. Yeah. So Betty asks for a conversation with Edgar and she gets one and kind of just like she's kind of just upfront with him too. And and he's kind of upfront with her. He he clearly knows that she has the tapes and they're about to talk and she said, you know, he asks her, what does she want to know? And she says she wants to know everything. So I'm kind of, I don't know. I, I, I have a fear that we're going to start the next episode and it's going to be like three days later and Betty's like talking to Jughead and is like, oh my gosh, here's what Edgar said. Like, I want to start the next episode right here, right in this conversation. I don't oh, want them I don't to take- think that's happening. I know, but I don't want them to take an easy way out and and do what they've been doing, which is just like, like summarizing the conversations after the fact. I want to see I mean, the conversation. Don't you know that the number one rule of storytelling is to tell, don't show? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's what they do, okay? Yeah. I, I am not okay with it, but like, I'm not in charge of this show, so... Okay. You're not? You know. I thought I was here with it, the maker it, of Riverdale. It may come as a shock to some of you, but I did not actually get to write this show and pick out what happens. Huh. This I is know. brand new information for me, to be honest. Um, but yeah, so there's there's it. That's the episode. Yep, it's the episode and uh I'm not I'm not mad with it. I definitely enjoyed it a lot more than Big Fun last week, and I think I enjoyed it more than I have enjoyed a couple of episodes, to be honest. Um wasn't the worst, wasn't the best. Like I feel like it's pretty solidly middle of the road. Yeah, I feel like there wasn't anything super fun that happened. We didn't get to really make fun of a whole lot. It kind of was a little bit plot moving forward. I do think we're getting some interesting stuff from the farm, and I'm definitely seeing a lot of parallels between the farm and Griffin's Agar still. I mean, we've gotten the whole sort of ascension kind of thing. We've gotten the whole you've got to become close to death. We've understood the whole thing about um, like how the how how he's somehow using some sort of hypnosis magic drug possibly related thing to make uh, make people see something that's not real in the same way that people saw the Gargoyle King. So I definitely think there's a relationship there and I would not be surprised if Edgar or his family or something is behind the original Gargoyle King as well. Yeah, I would not be surprised whatsoever. Especially including the fact that he moved in to the place where... Yes, like where, where it this, all began. Yeah, where this magic has sort of happened and in the past. you know what I have to say about that? I was right. <laughs> I knew it. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I just, I, I just want people to know I was right, okay? I very rarely get a prediction right. Like, it seems like I got a pretty big one. It's fine. If you want to be right, be right. You know that you love being right too, okay? Yeah, but I like it when I'm right. And I feel yeah. like I was wrong a couple times in this episode. I'm not happy about it. I mean, at least you were right about the fish. Yeah, I guess that's true. And baby teeth or tooth or whatever his name and, was. Yeah, whoever that guy is. Yeah. So, all right. Well, this episode, the title, The Raid, which, like, I felt like more of the episode had to do with Betty. So I'm not really sure why this was the title. I but I think it's because she's raiding the farm. 
Yeah, I guess. Uh, the Raid was a 2011 film, Indonesian action thriller film, written and directed by Gareth Evans, and the film is generally about an elite squad that is tasked to infiltrate a high-rise building run by a ruthless drug lord located in the slums of Jakarta. Among them is Rama, a rookie member of the team. I think a lot of this has a lot more to do with the whole Jughead plotline, though. Yeah, it definitely does, so I guess that's what they went with. I think, like, there's so much detective fiction out there, but I feel like they're somehow still scraping the bottom of the barrel to get episode titles. Yeah, they're just kind of going with whatever they feel right now, so I don't know. Um, all right, most normal person, who you got? Um, I would say the most normal person is Veronica, because she's just acting out when her parents are going to get a divorce. That's what teens do. Yeah, um, I mean, she did try to sort of threaten her mom with some dead fish. Yeah, but I mean, like, she's acting out. She could be a drug addict. This is way better than that. I don't know. Who else do you think? (sighs) Jeez, I don't know. Sweet pea? (laughs) Like, there's just, Mm. uh, yeah, there's not really... This was a this was definitely a Riverdale episode where everybody is doing things that children would not normally do. So yeah, I guess I guess that's yeah I guess it's probably Veronica. Wow, I didn't didn't expect Veronica to ever get one of these. Honestly, I'm yeah I'm impressed. And and I want to be clear, it's not because we like her. No, we don't like her. Like I still like her better than Archie though. But okay, meh, fair enough. I feel like you've taken a very anti-Veronica turn, and like I, we don't need to be that anti. I'm just annoyed with her. Like I was happy for about one second with the speakeasy and then I got unhappy with it. I'm not happy with how she treats Reggie. I'm not happy with her family stuff. It's boring. So like bring back like actual mob things or have her be cool and do something. But I just I don't like the fact that she is all of a sudden just like a kid who's obsessed with her family being together even though she's not looking at it realistically. Like yeah your parents who are more concerned about their drug businesses and killing each other are probably not going to stay together. Sorry. Yeah I guess she probably should have seen this coming because like back in season one and in early season two she thought her dad was a bad dude and was like hoping her mom would get out of this relationship but yeah whatever i don't it's messed up but anyway all right everyone that's all for this week's episode thank you for joining us and we will be back next week for our recap of episode 18 until then you can follow me online at frail mary on every platform and you can follow kirsten at kirsten said what on every platform you can check out both of us on the weekends doing the big brother morning updates for big brother canada 7 on rob has a podcast and you can check us out live on the rob has a podcast youtube page for those yes and if you liked this episode and you want us to know about it please give us a five-star rating and review on iTunes or whatever your podcatcher is. Let us know your thoughts on the episode. You can honestly be as mean as you want as long as you give us five stars and we will read it on the podcast. So it's a win-win. And yeah, until next time, we're out of here. Bye. children.